0: Amen. There is a battle going on today for the heart and soul of America, and the right side must win. It's time for America, Can We Talk? with Debbie Addis On America, Can We Talk? we talk truth about America and why it matters to you. America, Can We Talk? starts
1: now. And good evening and welcome. I'm Debbie Addis. I'm so glad you've tuned in to my show, America, Can We Talk?, and to tonight's first five I want to talk about what's happening in France and what huge lessons we in America need to learn about the riots in Paris and they are spreading outside of Paris, really all over France. To give you a, uh, just a brief picture of the scope of the problem that 's happening in Paris there have been there have been uh, protests at least for the last ten days and clearly Paris and France historically they have these kind of riots in the streets. This is not like a march on Washington with waving signs and, and chanting slogans. This is burning of property dest- uh, destruction of businesses massive. There were pictures from France, in fact, if you look on our website dot org I put up some of these pictures these uh, articles with pictures to them, it looks like like a war zone I mean literally dozens of burnings of buildings and and cars and vehicles smashed and burned. This is a, this is an angry, massive, massive protest. Macron cannot get it under control in France. He's trying, and he's going to be giving a speech tomorrow night, Monday night, and he's going to be addressing some of the uh, protesters' points. One of their chief ones uh, of the points was uh, opposing or just protesting a raise and increase in gas taxes and how much they pay for gasoline. They already pay some ridiculous, something like $7 a gallon already in France. And because of the expense of the climate deal, the, uh, the elitists who run, uh, France were going to increase taxes for the common Joe, who already doesn't earn a lot of money in France and that many people are jobless. So that was, that's kind of the tip of the iceberg of the protest issue. But the issue is actually much much deeper and that's the real lesson for america france has numerous problems that tie in to the kind of culture that france has become over the last many decades they have for example an increased idea of socialism where they just think the government owes them money owes them a living government must fix everything among the other demands of these protesters is an increase in wages and an increase in pension and i mean just all these things as though as though socialists economics has any connection to reality, any connection to logic or to facts. So people think they're going to protest and somehow the government can magically increase their pension, increase their wages, reduce their working hours, and somehow everything's going to be okay and just works out because the government can make it so. They have a population that has no sense of the freedom of free markets, of the, I'm not saying they don't work hard, but the notion that how you fix things is Protest the government. And this is Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez maybe paying attention to this because they have an entire country that has been duped into the idiocy and lies of socialism that they think the way to fix their income problem, the way to fix their pension level, the way to fix joblessness or to make the kind of jobs they want to have, that somehow all they have to do is, uh, is is demand it for the government. So they have that problem. They also have an even deeper problem than that in France, and that is they have lost the Western civilization rooting in Judeo-Christian values, in Christianity, the greatness of France, the, the rise of France, the history of the the art museums and the literature and the culture required that. It grew out of the Christian culture. France is increasingly, and it goes along with socialism, is increasingly secular, uh, uninterested in religion, untied, un- untethered from religious values. They have on top, and what comes from that is a lower and lower birth rate, a, a reducing population. So the country tries to make up for the population by bringing in immigrants who have absolutely no connection to French culture. And so they have burgeoning low-income, high-density areas in cities, and they and where, where they are uh, largely immigrant populations, and reducing reduced population in the countryside and the in the areas where, frankly, people need to buy gas because they can't rely on public transportation but the point is the entire culture of france has lost its western civilization roots has become soulless soulless soul less secular godless, uh, socialist, a, a notion that somehow we can just rant and rave and scream. On top of all that, interestingly enough, many of the protesters have realized that part of the problem in France, that they recognize the things I'm saying. On the one hand, they're protesting, forcing the government to make this fair for me, make, give me more money somehow, government. But they also, at the same time, the protesters are demanding that France vote against the UN's immigration pact. This would be a good move. If I had to summarize the problem in France, and I'll get back to the immigration pact, it is that it is run by elitists, run by elitists who connect with other elitists around the world. They think up global ideas. They think up global pacts and global immigration pact and global climate pact. No connection to their people. No connection to the culture that is their country. So some of the protesters have been demanding... We're not doing this U.N. migration pact where we, the country of France, were told by the U.N., by non-French people, how many immigrants, when they come in, where we put them, how many we have to take them, from what countries. People are saying no. And they said this is the beginning of... Some of the, the uh, protests you're watching is the beginning of a return to the excitement and, and the passion of loving your country, loving your, your country's history and identity and nationalism. I'm Debbie Georgetta. This is America, Can We Talk? After the break, we come back, I'm going to turn to talking about a totally di- different topic. The Clinton Foundation has got some folks who are now whistleblowers, our whistleblowers. We're going to hear about them. Come right back.
2: The federal government spends $900 billion annually on anti-poverty programs. What is it produced? 75% of black children are born into fatherless homes. 43% of the prison population is black. The black poverty rate has remained at twice the national average. And cities like Oakland, Baltimore, St. Louis, and Detroit are in ruins. Instead of helping, bad policies and billions of dollars have spread a sickness in the black community. It's time for a cure. The Center for Urban Renewal and Education, CURE, led by President Starr Parker, is addressing our nation's most critical problems in our nation's most distressed zip codes. CURE's mission is to fight poverty and restore dignity through faith, freedom, and personal responsibility. To find out more, to read about how CURE works, and how you can help, please visit UrbanCure.org and sign up for our weekly newsletter. Together, you and I can cure America.
3: The right to freedom of speech, to be who you are and to speak your mind, is a foundational American value enshrined in the First Amendment to our Constitution, and nowhere is that value more important than on America's college campuses. But too often on our campuses, unpopular political opinions or religious beliefs are met with censorship or even violence instead of honest dialogue and discussion. And Texas colleges are no exception. Schools like the University of Texas at Austin, Sam Houston State University, and the University of North Texas all place burdensome restrictions on free speech. That's why the Foundation for Individual Rights in Education, FIRE, fights back against the censors to defend liberty on America's college campuses. Does your college or alma mater uphold our most cherished American value of freedom of speech? Find out by visiting thefire.org and consider lending FIRE. Your support.
0: Do you know that one in nearly 5 United States residents lives in an immigrant household? That we take in more than 1 million new legal immigrants every year? Studying the impact of federal immigration program is the mission of the Center for Immigration Studies, the nation's only think tank looking at the broad national effect of immigration policy. most other special interest groups pursue the opposite. The only thing standing between them and open borders is an informed public. Get informed and stay informed by visiting cis.org. That's cis.org
4: and helping them through their short-term struggles. Make a difference today and help serve America's military families. Visit Homefront.org. That's OperationHomeFront.org.
0: Can you hear us now? Can you
1: hear us And welcome back to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie Georgiadis. I'll make one more point about the protests in France. What we're watching happening in France, we're watching the crumbling of the, of the sense of self-reliance among the people they take to the streets to demand improvement in the pension plans and more money and, and give us this and we demand that. That is a socialist mindset that has worked its way into the French culture. It certainly has worked its way into the people who originally voted for Macron. These are Macron voters in large part who are protesting they thought that somehow you get all this free stuff and you get a climate pack deal and you can do all these lofty left wing things and it'll all be free. This is reality setting in for people the macron voters saying, wait a minute, you mean' there's, they're essentially saying you mean there's no such thing as a free lunch. That we, we have to pay for what we're demanding. And they're also, this loss of culture in France is just a, they're about maybe 10, 20, at the very most, 30 years ahead of America, where they have the socialist mindset, which is always godless, is always anti-Christian, anti-Bible, anti-Judeo-Christian, anti-God, the socialist mindset, attempts to replace the society a culture sense of god in public life and god in your life with the government to be worshiped the government is what you must follow obey adore agree with let guide your values and your morals so the culture of france has suffered a great deal because of the socialism that has just taken and you know socialism has become too friendly a word a lot of young people in america think oh yeah I'm, i'm a socialist i like sharing So I'm going to try to remember to call it Marxism because that still has a little bit of a sinister tone to it. It's Marxism. And so what's happening in France is a combination of, you know, the the ruling elite class, Macron, his globalists at the U.N., his global buddies that are part of the European Union. uh, and, And until President Trump came along, America was joining that path under President Obama, that very elitist, globalist, ruling class We'll tell you how to do everything. We'll run everything. Don't worry. You just give us all your, your votes, your power, your money. We'll make everything perfect for you. So this is happening uh, in France. But the other thing I was going to say about it is that is so interesting is many people in this protest, they are alert to the idea that the introduction of large numbers of people coming into their country and with respect to the most recent immigrants into France and all over Western Europe, it's largely Islamic immigrants who have come into their cities, living largely in the, in, in the um, in, not in the rural areas, in the cities, and they are coming in and saying, and this is consistent with Islamization, which we've talked about many times in the show, but Islamization where they're saying, we're not coming to France to become French we're not coming here to learn your language to embrace your culture or even respect your culture we're coming here to make you cauto to our culture and so you have a, a very disparate disconnected Groups of people living in the large cities, and by the way, this this protest has now spread over to Brussels, Amsterdam. There was a big problem along France's border with Italy. The, this whole Western Europe mindset that is surrendering that the values of Western civilization and the self reliant, can do, upbeat spirit of Western civilization, rooted in rooted in faith, is is has as it diminishes in Europe. The, they've had secularism, socialism take over, and then. With that, they've had this large influx of Islamic immigrants who have not any interest at all in embracing or understanding Western civilization and in being part of it. They've come to convert. Those in Western Europe and other places are traveling to Islam or at least to force them to salute to Islam. So we have that factor playing out. And these are all things, you know, this America is not somehow because we are the most, uh, the strongest country on earth, because we are the wealthiest, most prosperous country, because we have a history of, of a strong, free culture. We are not immune from the challenges that France is facing, that Western Europe is facing. To the extent we continue as Americans to submit to Islamization, to, to bring in Islamic refugees to America and have uh, communities growing as we have now in Minnesota and Michigan and Texas, where there is very little interest in assimilating into the Western culture, into America's culture. Uh, these these are—this is us. I mean, what you're seeing happening in France right now, in Paris and other places and uh, in, in, in um, Europe— is is coming to America unless we can be alert enough to reject it to say we're not going to go down that path we're going to be America and so this is a this is a you know we're going to talk more about this I'm sure as as uh, the weeks go on but we 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 need to as Americans be grateful for clear on proud of what America is, and how why it is unique, where its greatness came from. It did not come from cultural diversity, abandoning the borders. It did not come from those things. It came from loving our cultural roots, our our roots in faith. The founding of America it came uh, it came about because of the the demand for freedom of religion. So there's a there's just a lot going on in France that we need to be taking notes and and making sure in America we don't fall down that path. Okay, I want to change and talk about. I know the biggest news of the past few days was about Comey's testimony. James Comey testified uh, in Congress uh, and then the uh, criminal um, complaint that was issued uh, for the president's attorney, Michael Cohen. Those are the biggest stories. I'm going to get to those in, after this next break, but I want to set the table for those stories by reminding you what's happening Hillary Clinton's really, really bad week this week. Uh, number one, uh, if you did not know, in Hillary Clinton's unfortunately very or probably fortunately very good uh, week, uh, bad week, uh, she had a judge in response to the Judicial Watch organization filing requests for information which she doesn't comply with, she doesn't respond, she just won't play ball with them. So Hillary Clinton had a federal court judge, District Court Judge Lamberth, uh, Royce Lamberth, He did, in in response to Judicial Watch, trying to demand that they—these are all—this particular litigation relates to Hillary's use of the private email server inside the State Department, which allowed her to hide everything she was doing from FOIA requests, Freedom of Information Act requests, allowed her to hide her what everyone thinks or many people are concerned is pay-to-play, you know, you— Donate to the Clinton Foundation, then you get money, uh, you, you do that, and then you get your way with Hillary Clinton a Secretary of State. A judge has issued an order, not only just an order, but really read the Riot Act to Hillary Clinton, essentially saying, you're going to comply, you're going to sit down, you're going to answer questions. He ordered the parties, and the parties are the Department of State and the Department of Justice, to To sit down, answer questions, he specifically suggested that the State Department under Hillary and the Justice Department colluded to protect Hillary Clinton in the email scandal, actually worked together to hide the truth from the American people about Hillary's conduct on the email scandal. So that has been a a huge story this week that she's gotten that order. And then there are three whistleblowers Three people who had worked for the Clinton Foundation who have come forward to say that this, and in fact, they turned over uh, in October of 2017, I think it was, over 6,000 pages of evidence from the Clinton Foundation that was secretly, they were hand, they were secretly handed over to the FBI and the IRS last year. Mark Meadows, head of the House Oversight Subcommittee only for a couple more weeks, but still he's the head right now. we was still a Republican as the head of the House Oversight Committee, is acknowledging that this big investigation that Attorney General Jeff Sessions put in play, Jeff Sessions, when he was still Attorney General, ordered U.S. Attorney John Huber to investigate the email scandal because obviously it didn't get investigated when the Obama uh, team was in, in place at the Department of Justice. So here's the bottom line. Sorry, a lot of players want to make it clear. John Huber, appointed by Jeff Sessions, looked into the email scandal. He has a report coming, and whistleblowers inside the Clinton Foundation are telling the story of Hillary's pay-to-play. That it really was all the concerns and accusations about Hillary were actually the case. There is a huge pay-to-play problem inside uh, Hillary. So I want to just remind inside the State Department under Hillary. So where we stand with Hillary Clinton, to be really clear— as we're going to turn the next segment, talk about Comey and Cohen, and ultimately Mueller and Trump. Keep in mind Hillary Clinton, completely unscathed by all the investigation by Mueller. Hillary Clinton, who, undisputed facts, set up her own private email server at home, relayed uh, so she and didn't use, didn't comply with the Department of State's requirement that she have a use their server sent and received the highest possible classification of secret documents over an unsecured, unprotected email server, and apparently engaged in pay-to-play while she was in the secretary of state. People gave the donations to Clinton Foundation uh, and got favors back. Uranium One. Hillary Clinton was directly involved in okaying the deal that sent 20% of America's uranium assets to Russia. And on top of all that, and to end all that, Hillary Clinton... She hired the Perkins Coie law firm, which in turn hired Fusion GPS, which in turn paid millions of dollars out. Hillary's pay. So Hillary's paying millions of dollars out to get a bad story about Trump out of the Russians colluding with the Russians. This is Hillary colluding with the Russians. That's where the facts are. When we come back from the break, I'm going to tell you how different the story is with respect to President Trump's conduct. I'm Debbie Georges, American Community Talk on Facebook Live. Come back in four minutes. Freedom.
5: The Army Scholarship Foundation offers one way to help military families by providing academic scholarships to children and spouses of soldiers. And you can help. Visit armyscholarshipfoundation.org and consider making a tax-deductible donation to help a military family member pursue his or her educational dreams. Assisting military family members with their college education is a great way for all of us at home to say thank you to our military families for your service and sacrifice. Visit armyscholarshipfoundation.org and get involved today.
6: America faces unprecedented threats to our national security.
2: The federal government spends $900 billion annually on anti-poverty programs. What has it produced? 75% of black children are born into fatherless homes. 43% of the prison population is black. The black poverty rate has remained at twice the national average. And cities like Oakland, Baltimore, St. Louis, and Detroit are in ruins. Instead of helping, bad policies and billions of dollars have spread a sickness in the black community. It's time for a cure. The Center for Urban Renewal and Education, CURE, led by President Star Parker, is addressing our nation's most critical problems in our nation's most distressed zip codes. CURE's mission is to fight poverty and restore dignity through faith, freedom, and personal responsibility. To find out more, to read about how CURE works, and how you can help, please visit UrbanCure.org and sign up for our weekly newsletter. Together, you and I can cure America. Have
7: you heard of the Policy Circle? It's a national network of women who come together in neighborhood conversations to discuss the public policies impacting their communities. You can think of it as a book club, but instead of reviewing a book, members discuss public policy issues. Policy Circle members have access to membership-only resources and benefits that complement a thoughtful framework for women to come together and have fact-based discussions. From Healthcare to Poverty, From free enterprise to education, from fiscal responsibility to the First Amendment, we discuss the issues that shape America. Change starts with a conversation. Conversations happen when women across the nation are connected and engaged in their communities, openly sharing their views and taking a leadership role in policy dialogue on what human creativity can accomplish in a free economy. Are you ready to join a growing network of engaged women? To join or start your own policy circle, visit thepolicycircle.org today. That's thepolicycircle.org. Can you hear us
0: now? Can you hear us? Now?
1: And welcome back to America. Can we talk? I'm Debbie Georgiadis. If this is the first time you listen to this show, I will just tell you that I do this show, America Can We Talk, because I want to urge Americans to—I mean, I know it's a conservative talk radio show, and I'm certainly on the conservative side— but my real mission, passion, and love is for the extraordinary, exceptional idea that is America. And the purpose of doing this show, the purpose of the stories I choose, the guests I bring in to join me, are, is always about the idea to inspire people to see the issues we're facing in the larger context of, are we doing our job in this generation to preserve this extraordinary, exceptional experiment in American liberty? That's why I do this show. I'm an equal opportunity critique, critiquer, crit- critical person. I will crit- I will criticize people on the right or the left because because the highest idea I want to stand for is preserving this country. So. Right now, the country has been watching, since prior to even the time that President Trump was inaugurated, uh, this ongoing discussion about Trump-Russia collusion. The back, And we've been over this many times in the show, so I'm not going to do the long background again tonight. But I, in the last segment, I talked about where Hillary Clinton, what happened to her this past week, which is a federal judge ordered her to cooperate, the Department of Justice and the Department of State, to cooperate in this FOIA request that has come forward, from, from FOIA being Freedom of Information Act, come forward from the Judicial Watch people who are trying to get to the bottom of why did she set up a private email server, what did she accomplish, what did she hide, did the Department of Justice and State collude to protect her? And, and you know, all of that is part of what, Judicial Watch is digging at. The unquestioned, proven, no argument, no one is even arguing anymore is she set up a private email server in circumvention of the law. She... And, and also in direct violation of federal law. She sent and received the highest level of classified information over this unsecured server. Uh, she misled, at the very least, she misled uh, many people about it, uh, denying it at first, ultimately permitted to give a statement to the FBI, not under oath. Uh, all sorts of breaks and special privileges and, and um, protection was given to her and her team uh, in, in responding to this. So now here we sit, we have a Republican president so therefore republican you know uh, executive branch fbi department of justice all supposed to be under the republican party um, and then we have the um, house and senate we had republican leadership until his most recent midterm now the republicans uh, will still maintain in fact increase the in majority in the senate lost majority in the house the point of that background is this we're sitting at a time when the Department of Justice and the FBI should have been diving into Hillary's conduct with the email, the pay-to-play on the, on the uh, Clinton Foundation while she was Secretary of State. You, the, the thing that seems obvious was, and was actually laid out in great detail, and uh, what's the guy's name, uh, Clinton Cash Schweiker, the author, of, whoever wrote Clinton Cash, spelled all that out. The Uranium One deal right in the middle of her husband's getting paid $650,000 to go give a speech in Russia as she's okaying uh, 20% of America's uranium assets heading, heading over there. Uh, she paid millions to a law firm that end up in the hands of the Russian, uh, end up creating the dossier that gave rise to the whole Mueller investigation. That's what she did, unquestioned. I mean, no one is arguing those facts. So now we sit today, we had James Comey, the former head of the FBI, who uh, gave testimony this week. And uh, he was being asked, essentially, did you realize when you took this dossier that you got from the uh, you know, Perkins Coie, Fusion GPS, Christopher Steele, uh, Hillary Clinton smear job, did you realize when you took that to the FISA court to get a warrant to spy on President Trump and his team, did you know that it really just was a a campaign smear job thing? What did you know? So he was being asked questions. He has been coy, smart aleck, uh, just ridiculous in his response. So first, I want to play a little clip. This is Comey after he walked out of that hearing. Here's what he had to say to reporters.
5: I'm coming back. We've scheduled a date to come back on the 17th after a full day of questioning. Uh, Two things are clear to me. One, we could have done this in open setting. And two, when you read the transcript, you will see that we're talking again about Hillary Clinton's emails. for heaven's sake. So I'm not sure we need to do this at all. But I'm trying to respect the institution and to answer questions in Mm -hmm. a respectful way.
1: Okay. It's... it's Mr. Golly G. Willikers, Golly G. I can't believe they're talking about the emails. The email is like one. It was completely uh, Hillary Clinton got got off scot free. I mean, with a little bit of public rebuke by a few people for violating federal law, and all of that it came from that. And he's mocking. This is James Comey. His first shot at, with reporters out of the hearing room, is to take a shot at. Isn't this ridiculous, Joe? Talking about our emails. Golly gee, willikers. I mean, for him, he's just excruciating. But I want to go on. So he's first of all mocking the idea that anyone would even question Hillary Clinton the email thing. Secondly, though, in the hearing, he said, "I don't know. I don't remember." I can't recall so many times that even Bob Goodlat, who happens to be a, a guy I happen to know, a congressman from Virginia, who was given a, a gave an interview afterwards and talked about the number of times. And what they're getting at again in this hearing with Comey is why uh, did you take a smear job, campaign job paid by paid for by a political opponent to the FISA court? Why was that the basis? Did you have anything else? Did you look into this, these Russian, uh, you know, this whole dossier allegations yourself? Did anyone in your entire FBI look into it? So here's Goodlap just answering questions describing how Comey conducted himself in this hearing.
5: Well, the biggest takeaway is uh, that former FBI Director James Comey, with regard to the two most important investigations Certainly during his tenure, uh, as FBI director into the Clinton email matter and into the, uh, Russia collusion matter, uh, said, as you've noted, uh, I don't recall, I don't remember, or I don't know 245 times. Mm. Uh, that is truly stunning since the fellow wrote a book about all of this.
1: That's a great point. Good luck. He wrote a book about it, but he can't remember anything to be very clear what he's saying. He doesn't remember this is, this is trying. And and in case, if you don't listen to the show or you haven't followed the story, I want you to just, I want to make the point about why this matters so much. The use of the FBI and the department of justice going to get warrants from the FISA court to spy on the Trump campaign, On behalf of the Obama administration, who clearly wanted the Hillary Clinton administration to be the next administration that came along, this is... One of the largest, probably the, it is the largest scandal in American history. It is the use of our national law, law enforcement agencies, our national security agencies, a political use of it, political abuse of it to take to use those entities to attack a political opponent. This is the FBI using a smear job thing that the Clinton campaign paid for to go get warrants and spy on the Trump campaign. And so that what the. Congress while we still have Republicans in majority because once of course in January comes Democrats never Want to get to the bottom of this. But what Comey said he didn't know, for example, he didn't know his own FBI, which he was head of at the time, was using the number four Justice Department official, Bruce Orr, as a conduit to keep collecting intelligence from Christopher Steele after that British intelligence operative, that British intel operative was fired by the Bureau for leaking and lying. Comey didn't seem to remember, knowing that Steele had been terminated. Didn't even remember that. This FBI guy said the FBI had not corroborated much of the Steele dossier before it was submitted as evidence to the the secret court, this FISA court they They never confirmed it was true. they took hillary clinton 's campaign smear job as the This And you know, folks, if you listen to Show Much, I've had on numerous former FBI people talking about the seriousness of the process that's supposed to be followed to get a FISA court warrant to spy on people. Nothing like that followed. He also, Comey also admitted, much of the dossier remained uncooperated more than six months later at the time he was fired. They didn't care what the reason, where the dossier came from, whether it was legitimate. They wanted some basis to keep on using the FBI to to get after a political opponent of the Obama administration, um, he confirmed. For example, and in fact, in fact, he, this is something else just to keep in mind. Republicans have been saying for months, you know, within the last couple of years, that this is an un, unverified dossier, a campaign smear job paid for by Hillary used to get a federal court warrant and that was mocked. That idea was mocked by numerous Democrats saying it was ridiculous. Devin Nunes said, ridiculous that would be true. It's Comey just said, no, actually that's exactly what happened. Um and I, there are just I mean it goes on and on, but the point of, of sharing all this with you is Comey is basically taking the position in this that he is being um that this is all silly. He's it's just ridiculous detail. And he's not he's not even beginning to approach the idea that perhaps his FBI was out of line. He's not even getting close to the of acknowledging he has a major responsibility for this problem. I'm Debbie George As we come back and tell you about the other big news will be Cohen and what it means for Trump and Mueller. Facebook Live, come back in four minutes.
4: I'm free.
0: open borders is an informed public get informed and stay informed by visiting cis.org that's cis.org
6: texans have a long tradition of independence and we don't like being told what to do especially by liberal bureaucrats one thousand miles away that's why for 30 years the dallas-based institute for policy innovation has fought washington's efforts to take more of your money and freedom ipi works every day to keep taxes low and freedom high Help IPI restore liberty and economic growth. Go to IPI.org today. That's IPI.org. One more time, go to IPI.org today.
0: Faces a choice. The path of big government based out of Washington, or the unique brand of liberty and prosperity enjoyed here in Texas. For 27 years, the Texas Public Policy Foundation has helped leaders in the Lone Star State prove that fiscal restraint and small government can deliver opportunity and prosperity for all. The Texas Public Policy Foundation promotes and defends solutions here and around the country policy.com to learn more.
5: The Army Scholarship Foundation offers one way to help military families by providing academic scholarships to children and spouses of soldiers. And you can help. Visit armyscholarshipfoundation.org and consider making a tax-deductible donation to help a military family member pursue his or her educational dream. Assisting military family members with their college education is a great way for all of us at home to say thank you to our military families for your service and sacrifice. Visit ArmyScholarshipFoundation.org and get involved today.
0: Can you hear us now? Can you hear us?
1: And now? welcome back to America. Can we talk? I'm Debbie George Addis. You know, we're talking tonight about this. Um, just, just enormous ongoing uh, battle in Washington. And I was trying to say at the beginning of the last segment about how you know it's amazing this two years we've had Republican um, Congress, U.S. House, Republican Senate, Republican in the White House, and the entire uh, news cycle in with respect to the uh, tr- Trump Russia collusion has been entirely dominated by the Mueller investigation, by the um, you know the allegations of Trump Russia collusion. Nothing has happened to Hillary Clinton. I mean, I'm just I'm telling you, if Obama or any Democrat were in the White House, his Justice Department or her Justice Department, her FBI would not have been doing this. What we're seeing in part to understand where we are is this is a lot of the of the effort and determination of the deep state the people who remained inside Department of Justice and the FBI, who all along are left-wing loyalists, they're Obama loyalists, they are uh, Hillary Clinton loyalists, they are outraged that Trump won this this uh, presidency in 2016, won this seat, and this is just an ongoing attempt to uh, diminish his uh, power, to st- cause him to have to delay or or just abandon a lot of his agenda, to keep public attention, to take credibility away from him, to keep public attention on this question of wrongdoing. But I told you before the, in the last segment what, what involved with Comey. Comey um, did his testimony at the House this week where he pretty much just kind of— um, mocked the idea that there'd be anything to investigate about Hillary uh just just continued his air of elite dismissal of the concerns people have about Hillary now I want to turn though to the concerns that the Mueller investigation has raised about uh, in the last uh it's like 150 years, I think. No, it's just a little over a year. But the Mueller investigation has gone on and on and on and on. The big news in the Mueller investigation that was originally about Trump Russia collusion is that the president's lawyer, uh, Michael Cohen, was charged, and these are um, these are very serious charges. I mean, he, you know, if they were to be sentenced under the way they could be, he could spend a lot of time in prison. But the core issue that is facing President Trump. With respect to the Mueller investigation, is whether or not either Mueller can uh, find, can actually try to bring in a, a criminal indictment against President, against President Trump, um, and or raise enough questions that the Democrats, once they have the majority in the US House, can move for impeachment. Now, even if the Democrats vote to impeach President Trump, As you all know, I'm sure the Constitution says, okay, so the House votes to impeach. Suppose they did do that. They had that vote. You, he's not he's still in office he's still president you have then the senate would have to vote to remove him and the senate is now an increased republican majority there's no way they would do that so the house would be simply doing a show impeachment vote but it's very likely they will they've been promising their their uh, followers they will do that but i want to, i really want to talk about my lawyer heads kicking in here and my sense of justice my determination for the rule of law in america to start with, on Cohen, the big charge that he was for—I mean, the charge that relates to his interactions with President Trump. Are the charges arising out of the fact that uh, Michael Cohen, President's attorney during the campaign, apparently facilitated, orchestrated the payment of hush money to two women? Uh, one was a, is a you know pole dancing porn star, and the other one is a Playboy person I mean these are you know the, these are just two women he apparently had uh, some kind of had some kind of um, liaison with so both those ladies were a threat it appeared they thought to President Trump's campaign so they were paid off um, in their um, to, to be quiet so that is the charge that Cohen is facing that he because of that money is being treated as an undeclared, campaign i mean essentially they're saying that it was it was a campaign expenditure to pay that off you know to to pay them off and it wasn't disclosed it wasn't you know it wasn't um you know was didn't get ...filled in on the, on the forms you file when you are running a federal campaign and have to file your FEC forms. You obviously didn't fill in, paid off so-and-so to be quiet. So, they're undeclared uh, campaign expenses. And that that um, investigation has been turned over to the Office of the United States Attorney for the Southern District of New York. The basic thing is there are two campaign finance charges essentially involving schemes to procure non-disclosure agreements from these two women, Stormy Daniels and Karen McDougal. But I want to... so. The, the overarching concern, if you are in America, is with respect to the Mueller investigation, is could President Trump either be impeached over or indicted over the campaign donation issue we just talked about with Cohen paying off these two women um Second is whether or not President Trump lied about knowing about an impending meeting at the Trump Tower. And I'll talk about that in a second. And the third one is whether he could be fired or or he could be in some sort of trouble. He Trump could be in trouble because of firing Comey uh, back when he did. That was perhaps that was being for a while characterized as an obstruction of justice. Given that he has absolute authority and it's his agency, of course, he can fire them. They've kind of given up on that. But these two charges, I want to... These two potential threats against President Trump, I want to spell them out. Um, and I have to do it very quickly because in, in this segment. One point is this. The overarching question of whether or not a president can be indicted, a sitting president can be indicted for any crime whatsoever, is a huge question. And I want to just say that there are... Uh, The Constitution is unclear. The Constitution does not say the president can or that he cannot be criminally prosecuted. There is an advisory guideline in place in the Department of Justice that says a sitting president may not be indicted for a crime. There's also an ABA, American Bar Bar Association Journal piece, very uh, extensive research, essentially says that the overwhelming... uh, View is that a sitting president cannot be indicted for a crime, and as on a political note, I'll say this: if you don't, if you do permit a sitting president to be prosecuted for a crime, you are setting up for the rest of American history just endless potential for. Shenanigans is too cute a word for uh, betrayal, for uh, political, you know, just uh, nefarious political attacks, accusations, arm-twisting, threats. The constitutional vehicle, if the president really had done something wrong, which in in these particular allegations I will argue he has not, but the constitutional remedy is that you can impeach him and the Senate can remove him, and then he can be prosecuted. Nothing. No one is arguing that anyone who's ever been present can never be prosecuted. The standard being the argument is: Can a sitting president be prosecuted? Be indicted and prosecuted while he's present? It's a very dangerous path to go down because, as you as we're watching the. Uh, Astonishing uh, vitriol out of the American left under Mueller attacking Trump. The idea that the Democrats actually had power to bring a criminal indictment against a sitting president, uh, I I mean, we would be in a mess. I think the overwhelming weight of legal opinion, my opinion— Uh, And constitutional uh, experts is you cannot indict a sitting president. However, there was a a memo written during the era that Ken Starr was acting as special prosecutor that's come to, to light again recently. It was actually in the National Archives. It just came out recently where someone did a hypothetical analysis, can a sitting president be indicted for a crime? And they came to the answer, yes. So it's an unsettled question of law. It's a dangerous path to go. But the second, so that that's just kind of the overarching thing. But the other thing I want to mention about uh, Trump and this whole allegation about his, his lawyer Cohen, Cohen paying off these women is this. It's not even clear that Cohen violated any law that Cohen should have pled guilty. Cohen got Cohen's lawyer, by the way, in this represent representing him dealing with this Mueller onslaught is a lefty is a Clinton lawyer who convinced duped arm twist whatever they did got him to plead guilty and agree that this payment these two payments constitute a violation of federal election law that's not even clear that that is the case that that is a law that is a a violation of law at all in fact there's a great piece i think it's up on our website americacommetalk.org but uh, mark levin uh you know prominent lawyer and he's also the host of a it used to be called CRTV. I think they have a new name now. But anyway, um, he's, he's made the argument over and over and over over that hush money payments are not campaign finance violations. The basic argument being when you go, and in fact, he had an expert on his show, a former head of the Federal Election Commit- Commission, who said when they wrote the regulations about what has to be reported in order to, and what do you have to do to comply with the campaign finance laws, they entertained the idea should they have the standard b anything that in any way helps your campaign must be reported and that they specifically rejected that as the standard that that's not the case at everything you spend and people getting ready for to run for office, spend all sorts of money, especially high office, spend all sorts of money. They decide to pay off their mortgage. They decide to settle a pending lawsuit where they think they're in the right, but they don't want to have it hanging over their head during the campaign. There are many, 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 many reasons people pay off Outstanding concerns, uh, outstanding uh, litigation, payoff, even things they don't think they really owe, but they think it's smarter to get rid of it. So Levin is saying that even the former Federal Election Commission uh, Chairman, uh, Federal Elections Commission Chief Bradley Smith, went out of his way to say the FEC that wrote the regulation about what has to be reported specifically rejected the idea that a campaign expenditure is anything related to a campaign. Instead, it has to be an expenditure that was made that existed only because of the campaign and solely for that reason. So these are the challenges that we have uh, upcoming, folks. I'm laying all this out for you tonight because there's going to be, once we have a Democrat majority in the U.S. House, there is going to be all Hades breaking loose in the House. Every effort to get President Trump to find some basis to impeach him, I think it is inarguable that he cannot be indicted, but there are people out there. Andrew McCarthy, who is deeply disappointing me these days, uh, has has implied that there could be an indictment of a sitting president. But even if there could be, the idea of indicting him over campaign these these uh, is even unclear. It's a campaign finance violation. That's, that is really just a, a witch hunt going to get this guy. And the other, the last piece of which I guess I'm running out of time talking about, but, you know, there was also the whole story of the um, Trump Tower meeting. In a very summary way, I'll just say this at the Trump Tower meeting, this would be a process charge, perjury trap kind of. Attack if Mueller goes after Trump for that because he said he didn't know about a meeting and he did. The meeting was legal. Nothing illegal happened at the meeting. Nothing nefarious happened at the meeting. Nothing happened at the meeting. So the idea that he could be indicted over that, folks were in trouble I'm, if that happens. I'm Debbie george America Can We Talk? And we're going to come back after the break and Facebook Live come back after the top of
7: the hour.